Hey guys, Pastor Bear here. Welcome to the podcast for Real Church. We meet every Sunday at 11.15 a.m. at the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sherpsburg. You can also check us out online at www.realchurchcoweta.com or jump on Facebook at Real Church Coweta. I hope you enjoy this week's message. Hey, listen, we're going to recap a little bit of what we talked about last uh, last Sunday. And so um, I want to throw up the goal. I think we have that goal. Do we have that up there, Lynn, the goal uh, of this series? Here, here it is. The goal is uh, for you to become who God had in mind when he created you. That's the goal uh, of our lives. Uh, and listen, from that, from that goal, when you, when, you, uh, when you experience that, when you experience and you know that you know that you know that who God had in mind when he created you, what that allows you to do is, is it allows you to live a life of freedom and it allows you to live a life that's fully, not half, not one-fourth, but that's fully devoted to who Christ is. And it's fully devoted to telling others who Christ is. But here's the kicker. You can do that without having to be um, someone uh, who, who puts people off. You can do that by living your life for Christ, and we'll see in a minute how that works, but living your life for Christ, and when you live your life for Christ, and when you're doing and you're being exactly who God created you to be, you'll see that your impact will be maximum because it won't be fake, it will be genuine. You have a genuine, um, really a genuine mission uh, in life, and that's what we want to get you to, and that's why we decided to do this series, is for you to discover who it is that God had in mind when he created you. Now, I talked to you guys last week about Genesis chapter 3, and we looked at Genesis chapter 3. Now, we don't have this up on the screen, but I'll, I'll tell you. Genesis chapter 3, where there was, there was a, uh, and I'll, I'll, read, I'll read it for you. In Genesis chapter 3, we see after the fall of man, and we see after after the uh, the woman had and, and, and the man had sinned, and he was giving down the uh, the instructions for who was going to be cursed and what was going to be the consequences, at the very end of Genesis chapter three, we see something very unique. And I told you guys last week. It says in my Bible, it says expulsion and hope. Yet when I read the text, all I if I look on the just the surface, all I see is expulsion. I don't see hope. And I'll read it for you. It says then the man Adam um, named his wife Eve because she was with the mother of all who lived, and the Lord. God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. This is Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 20. Then the Lord said, Look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out and take the fruit from the tree of life and eat it? Then they will live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the garden of Eden, and he sent Adam to cultivate the ground from which he had been, uh, which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord uh, stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed backwards and forwards to guard the way for the tree of life. And so all I see his expulsion there. But the truth of the matter is, if we look deeper in the text, what we actually find is this, is that God did this. God said, listen, I don't want them. It said live forever. It said if they eat this tree, they will live forever. If you look at the text deeper, what you find is the actual translation is if they eat the tree, they will live forever in this sinful state. All right, I want you to get that. They will live forever in this sinful state. And so because of God's goodness and because of his hope that he wants to instill in us, God actually banished them and protected the tree so that we would not live in that sinful state 
forever. And so right there, just in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, just as we know that that was the first prophecy, right there we see it again a couple of verses later, that God is already setting up the plan. All right. He's already setting up the plan for redemption. He's already setting up the plan. And what you see throughout the Old Old Testament is a, a group of men that he chose and a group of leaders that he chose to protect that all the way through until we see in the New Testament, we see Christ who enters the page. And so we do have this verse up on the screen. And we talked about it last week in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 17. All right, 2 Corinthians, it says, Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ did what? He died for what? All. Can you guys say that with me? He died for all. Christ died for all. Also, we believe that we have all, that we all have died to our what? Our old self. And then here, here he goes. He died for everyone so that those who receive, those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. All right. So Christ died for all and he was raised for them. And then we go into the next verse. So we have to stop evaluating others from a human point of view. At one, at one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. And so what Paul, what Paul is saying here to the Corinthians, he's saying, we used to just look at Christ as a man, but now we know him totally, totally differently. We have to stop evaluating that because he came to do a much bigger work than we even realized. And then verse 17 is the main verse that goes with the text here. We're going to go, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a what? A new person. The old is gone and the new life has become. And so what you find is, is you find that Christ, Christ has come for us to exchange. Okay, there's an exchange going on. He actually comes in and he takes our old life and he makes us a new life. And so we are a new creation. And that's what we're talking about in this series. The you that you want to be, there is someone inside you, and you know this, there is a someone that you want to be, and everyone innately has that within them because Christ placed it there. God placed it there for us to live out a mission for Him, 100%, not for you, for Him. Now, the cool thing about that is, is that when we live out the mission for Him, we too get the benefit because He brings that right back to us in joy, peace, Remember those things we talked about during the episode? Joy, peace, hope, love. Those things become easier, not because of our own efforts, but because of allowing Christ to come in and take more and more and more of our lives. And that was a quick update of what we talked about last week. Yet this week, I left you with a message last week, and I left you with a question. And here is the question that I left you with. Does God have our best interest at heart. And I ask you guys to consider, does God have our best interest at heart? And most of the people would go, oh yeah, he has our best interest at heart. Oh, I, oh yeah, I know. And you would answer that quickly. But I literally wanted you to think about that all week. In your life, <clears throat> have you seen that God has your best interest at heart? Because you guys, listen, life's tough. It can be very tough. Does he have your best interest at heart? And I think I think there's a lot of verses that would point you to this. There's a lot of verses in the Old Testament. There's a lot of verses where we see that he did various things. He performed various miracles. But I think the verse that speaks loudly to this, the answer to this question is found in Hebrews chapter 4. So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14. Hebrews chapter 4, it's near the end of your Bible. Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14. Hebrews 4, 
starting in verse 14. It says, So then, since we have a great high priest, and who's that great high priest? Who's the great high priest? It's Jesus. Jesus is a great high priest. It's not a trick question, I promise. When I used to teach school, I used to give pop quizzes and trick questions. I don't do that in church, okay? Who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. And it says this, this high priest of ours understands our, what? Our weaknesses. For he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. And then it says this, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Does he, does he have our best interest? I'm going to tell you that he does have your best interest. He has your best interest because he understands and he has felt every temptation, every trial, every pain, every emotion. He understands that because he chose, he chose not to stay in heaven. He chose to come down and experience life as a man. And so he does have our best interest. He did that so that you and I could have eternal life. He came down so that you and I could have eternal life. He does have our best interests at heart. But there's something about that. There's something about that. Listen, I used to work, you guys know, I used to work in a, in a place called Youth Town. And Youth Town was a home for, for abused and neglected children. Uh, and so these kids would come in, and it never failed. It never failed. These kids would come in, and they would not trust anyone. They would come in, and they would not let anyone in. As a matter of fact, they had this huge thing around them. Why? Because they would not trust people because they had had bad experiences in the past. They had been abused. They had been neglected. And so anybody that would try to get close to them, they would push them off. They would push them off. And it never failed because what would happen, they would come in and they would be distant with everyone. And then slowly, over time, what you would begin to see is is they would begin to get closer and closer, and this guard that they had would begin to come down further and further and further and further until they realized that they could trust the people at this place, that the people at this place had their best interests at heart. They could trust them. Why did they do that? Because over a period of time, they got to experience them on a daily basis, They got to see the love they had for other people. They got to see and hear the compassion and the empathy that they had for the children that were there. And they got to sit back and they got to look at how incredible some of these people that worked at this facility were. And they realized, I can engage with these people. I can trust these people. You know, in the the scriptures, there's there's a text in John 11. It says this. It's a story of, of John. Of, of John tells the story of, of Jesus waiting a couple of extra days before he comes back. Lazarus, uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus were really close to Jesus. And they supported his ministry. They traveled with him. But Lazarus had become sick. And so John 11 reports that whenever, whenever Jesus started coming back, that Mary and Martha actually came out. And remember, they had been with him. They actually came out. Lazarus had died, 
they came out and they were kind of ticked off at him. All right, I know we don't want to think of people getting ticked off at God, but you have and I have before too. They were kind of ticked off at him. And here's what they said. They said, if you'd have been here, if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. If you'd have been here, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have died. Almost like, listen, you're our friend. If you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. What are they saying? Why did you wait so long? Why is it that you wait so long? But then we see very soon after, and, and you know, we, we see very soon after what Jesus had in mind. When Jesus said the famous words, Lazarus, come forth. It's one of the greatest miracles we see in the scriptures. You see, Mary and Martha had to understand that Jesus had their best interests at heart. The kids at Youth Town had to understand that the ministry that they had come to had their best interests at heart. And you and I have to understand that God has our best interest at heart. The story I tell you from Genesis chapter 3 that a lot of us just kind of blow over. But think about that. Think about, I, I think about God closing that gate, closing those doors, putting those flaming swords going back and forth so that we don't live this way forever. I think about that a lot like I think about whenever Wendy and I first had a kid and we took those little plugs, all right? We took those little plugs and stuck them in the wall sockets because we didn't want something to happen to our children. And I think about the same thing with God. By the way, those little plugs in the wall socket, most of those suckers won't come out unless you got a, a screwdriver. you got to pop them out with a screwdriver. And sometimes you can pop them out and the screwdriver can pop in and it may kill you instead of the kid. Are you with me? Has anybody ever had that experience? There's like these things, you gotta, you got to pull them out. It's kind of crazy, but that's been my experience. I've had to pop those suckers out because I, I actually bite off my fingernails. And so, but those things are hard to get out for me. All right, we also did this crazy thing where we, we actually, I actually screwed in these things that went in our cabinets so you could open up and the cabinet would pop. It would pop, all right? Well, let me just let you know, if you got a boy, uh, most of those don't work, all right? Because Blake's favorite thing was to go and whoo, rip those suckers off the thing. We would put all, we put all the medicine up in the very top of the medicine cabinet and the top of the, uh, it was way up high. And then we put them in the very top of our kitchen. And one morning, one morning, um, Wendy called me in a panic. She found Blake sitting on the counter. He was very little, very little. And she found him sitting on the counter with a jar of Robitussin, with a thing of Robitussin. He had Robitussin all over his face. And, and, and I think he said something like, mommy, I'm better. And uh, we had to rush him to the uh, emergency room. And uh, the doctor said, well, he's, he'll be fine. He's going to sleep really well, really well for about 8 to 12 hours. And he slept really well. for about. He had literally climbed up to get those things. We do those things with our children, right? We protect our children. Listen, can I tell you something? God does the same thing for you. He does. He does the same thing for you. And he does the same thing for me. He does the same thing for you, and he does the same thing for me. C.S. Lewis likes to call God the hound of heaven. The hound of heaven is what he called him. 
There's a poem from the 1800s called The Hound of Heaven. There's a line in there that says, this God who is the Hound of Heaven. And C.S. Lewis picked up on that and he called him the Hound of Heaven. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about a God that is relentlessly. Have you guys ever seen a hound dog? An old hound dog going through the woods? I always say, every time I think about a hound dog, I always think about, oh, brother, where art thou? All right, the scene where the dogs are going, and you hear them and they're running and the dogs are coming from behind. C.S. Lewis called God the Hound of Heaven. Um, and literally, God pursued him to the point where he, he almost gave his life to Christ just because he's like, gosh, okay, fine, leave me alone. <laughs> he had pursued him so much. Uh, I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life when I've said, you know what? I don't know if I can do this anymore. I'm, I'm not sure I want to do this whole you know, faith thing. I don't know. And I'll tell you what, the hound of heaven has chased me down. The hound of heaven has had literally hounded me to the point where I'm like, I can't let this thing go. This thing is too genuine for me. It's too much. This relentless God will not let me walk away. He absolutely will not. And I hope you experience the hound of heaven where God is continually pulling you and pulling you and pulling you because that's what he is. And he cares about you, and he has your best interest at heart. Here's the next thing I want you to know about God, though, is that God is interested in your, in your, in your individual growth. That was easy for me to say. In your individual growth. In your individual growth. God is, in, is individually interested in your individual growth. You know, our kids, when they grow up, our kids, uh, they, they start out, and, and we really put a lot. I just visited Jenna and Mason yesterday, and Wendy held the baby the, most of the time. I, I looked at the baby. I'm not real good with holding. Look, don't be offended. I don't, I don't like holding little babies, all right? I'm kind of clumsy. I'm afraid I'll, you know, I don't want front page of the Noonan Times Herald. Pastor kills baby because he dropped it on the floor. Are you with me? I just don't want that. That's not something I want in my resume. And so I've held the baby one time, and I was like, it was like I was holding a piece of fine china, and I was like, okay, I'm done. Uh, I do very well when your kids turn about 12, all right? You know, 12, you know, when they get on your nerves, send them to me. Uh, I'll take over from there. But, but I, I got to hold that baby, and it's amazing because I know the dreams and the plans that they have for that, for that child. And we had the same thing uh, for our kids, and you have the same thing for your kids, and you are interested in their growth process, in their growth. As a matter of fact, a lot of you guys, a lot of you, a lot of you moms, and we have one too, you guys have a book that says, oh my gosh, first so-and-so, first this, first that, and you got little prints of their finger, of their hands, and their, you know, their feet, and, and I first this, and first that, and you go through that whole process with your child, because you want to make sure you, you have the growth of your children go through. Uh, we've been in homes before where some of you guys have the, the actual growth chart, you know what I mean? You've got the little things marked off, and marked off, and marked off. Let me say something. I was in Hobby Lobby the other day. Do you guys know they're making boards now with that? They're making actual boards you can put on your wall, and you can grow. That's kind of lame. Do it on the doorpost, man, or it doesn't count, right? Why do we have to mess up everything? Just do it on the doorpost. But that's what we do. We want to see the growth of our children. And so we mark those things and we mark those things. Well, can I tell you something? God has the same thing in mind for you. He does. He wants to see the growth of those who are his children. He wants to see the growth of his children. Do you know how that happens? I'll tell you how it happens. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to spend time with you individually. He does. He desires that because the closer you get to God, the less of you and the more of him will occur. It's just like what John the Baptist said, that, hey, listen, I have to decrease so that he may increase. I have to go lower so he can go higher. And when we connect, when we connect with God on that plane, 
That's what happens. A lot of times, um, uh, like right now in our lives, um, you know, uh, with these kids that are teenagers, all of a sudden they don't want to be around us as much anymore, right? They don't think we're cool anymore. I'm not real sure how I became uncool from sixth to seventh grade, but somewhere in the middle in the summer, I became uncool dad, all right? I became uncool dad. And all of a sudden, you know, they're up in their room more, or they want more privacy and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know about you, but I cherish the, the, the younger times when they would hang out with us and they would do all those kind of things. Now, we still have those times at, at times, but it's not as frequent. But I want you to know something. God wants to spend time with us. He wants to spend time with you, and he wants to spend time with me. Jesus gives this example because he spent three years he spent three years with his disciples. And I loved what he said as he's getting ready to go to his death. He's getting ready to go to his death. And he sits down at the Last Supper and he says, How I have longed to eat this meal with you. How I have longed. Can you hear that in his voice? How I have longed to eat this meal with you. And it's an individual thing. It's not, it's not a corporate thing. And I said this last week. It's not a corporate thing. It's an individual thing. He individually wants us. He individually wants us to spend time with him so that he can reveal more of himself and more of himself and more of himself and more of himself. And so that when you receive that, when you allow that to come into your heart, when you allow Holy Spirit that's within you to join up with his word and teach you, then you'll have less of you and more of him. And I'll guarantee you one thing, if I can't guarantee you anything else, that is what God had in mind when he created you. That's how he wants to shape your life. That's how he wants to shape who you become. And that's what we're going to continue to talk about. But God is not on the general thing. I told you guys this before. One of the worst things churches can do is this. They can have a cutout. Now, you can't see it visibly, but most churches, a lot of churches have this. They have a cutout of what a Christian is supposed to be. They have this cutout. And so when you decide you want to give your life to Christ, they take you and they try to push you through that cutout so that you will pop out on the other side and you act just like all the other ones. But can I tell you something? God is much too creative for that. He's much too creative for that. We are all different for a reason. We know what the scripture says about being different parts of the body. Listen, we're different for a reason. And I struggled with this for so long because I was like, gosh, man, I don't know of anyone that, you know, anyone wanting to hire some kind of obnoxious, you know, obnoxious, you know, uh, guy who probably talks a little too much and listens a little too little and, and, you know, grew up not even going to church and, you know, I, I wasn't raised in church and I don't know all this stuff and I don't know anyone who would want to do that for me. And the amazing thing is, is that when I connected with God, God began to change me, not in the way someone else thought, but in the way he thought. And I began to realize that God didn't want to take away my personality. God didn't want to take away, you know, how I looked. God didn't want me to be something that I wasn't. God wanted to, to literally build on the fact that he had, and want me to know that he had created me. He had created me, and he wanted me to surrender to him so that he could use me to maximize, to maximize the impact for the kingdom. That's what he wanted, and that's what he wants for you too. But listen, it's an individual thing. It's not a corporate thing. It's, not a, it's, it's an individual thing between you and between God. Here's the final thing. 
God wants us to reach our full potential. And here's the kicker. He doesn't get frustrated with the process. I want to say that again. God wants us to reach our full potential, and he doesn't get frustrated with the process. I think one of the things that we do more than anything is we get frustrated with us. We get very frustrated with us. We get in a loop, like I said last week, of the, of the me that we think we need to be. And we get in this loop where we're failing and forgetting and getting hopeful and trying and failing and forgetting and getting hopeful and failing and trying and forgetting. And we get in this big loop that goes over and over and over again. I want you to know something. You may get frustrated with you. You may get frustrated with the process. God doesn't get frustrated with the process. As a matter of fact, here's the secret. The process is what teaches you. You are taught by the process. The only thing worse than getting frustrated with you is how we get frustrated with other people. Now, I want to be completely transparent with you and tell you, someone asked me this last night. They were like, hey, let me ask you a question. When someone kind of obnoxious, you know, decides they're going to leave the church, do you ever kind of secretly celebrate? Yes. Yes, I do. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. I bought many a cakes on a Sunday afternoon after a conversation with someone. And Wendy and I have thrown down and had a party. All right. I'm kidding about the cake, not the party. Um, someone asked me that. As a pastor, oftentimes you pour into people's lives. And you, as a believer, can pour into people's lives. And people make the same mistakes over and over and over again. And we can get so frustrated with them. We can get so frustrated with them. And what we want to tell them is, is we want to say, listen, I've told you 500 times and you never listen. Why aren't you listening? We can get, I know no one here does that, but I'm sure you know a friend that does. They get so frustrated. And we get frustrated. We get frustrated with people. We get frustrated with ourselves because there's no growth or there's little growth or we don't understand that the growth is slow. I want you to hear something. God doesn't do that. God doesn't do that. God's not up in heaven going, well, I guess they're just going to keep on cussing at cars every time somebody cuts them off. I've told them a thousand times. Don't be pointing fingers at anybody. A few people started pointing fingers. Don't do that. All right? But seriously, that's what happens. God doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. God's much more patient than that. He's much more patient with you and I. There's a story uh, in the John 11 with Lazarus. There's a story right before that. Um, Doubting Thomas is who he became known as, but Thomas is with the group. And Jesus is trying to explain why he has to go back. And they're saying, Jesus, you could get killed. You don't need to go back. And he's like, no, I have to go back. And so Thomas says this out of left field. Let's go die with him. And Jesus had already explained over and over again, but Thomas didn't listen. He said, let us go that we may die with him. And Jesus already knew his heart. He knew he was doubting Thomas. Even before he knew he was doubting Thomas. Let's go die with him. Don't you think that Jesus probably went, all right, Thomas, let's go. You know? No. No, he didn't do that. He didn't do that at all. 
He didn't do it at all. Why? Because he knows what I know and what you hopefully now know is it's the process. It's the process that is where the growth is. It's the, it's the daily process. And you're, what you'll do is, is you'll keep going through this process of allowing God in and allowing God in and engaging with his word. And you'll keep having that process. And then all of a sudden one day you'll look and you'll be totally different than you were two or three years ago. And you'll go, how in the heck did I get here? How did I get here? You know, God looks at us individually. He does. Um, and he doesn't get frustrated. There's, <laughs> I didn't ask them to use their name, but I'm going to. The parrots are nice people um, sometimes. Mike's always nice. Shelly sometimes. Um, yeah, they're, they're nice people. But the, the parrots are one a great example of this. Their kids, every one of them individually, are totally different than the other. Are you with me? They are totally different than the other. Like Mason is one way and Max is completely the opposite. And Mercer is Mike's clone. All right. That's what he is. I know like they're different. They're totally different. Three kids, same mom and dad, totally different. All three of them. They don't even really look alike. I mean, kind of, you know what I mean? They're all different. But Shelly and Mike, don't get frustrated with their kids being different. They just know they're different. And there's a way to get to Mason that doesn't work with Max. And there's a way to get to Max that doesn't work with Mercer. And there's something that Mason may do that Mercer would never do, but Mercer may do this and Max doesn't do that. And they're all different. And what they do is, is they meet them where they are and teach and help them grow from that point. And that's the same thing that God wants to do with us. We're all at different levels. We're all different, but that's the same thing he wants to do with us. He just wants you. He just wants you to surrender and allow him to do that. All through the Bible, you guys, there's people who he didn't get frustrated with the process. There's Abraham. I've got some of these written down. There's Abraham who lied about his wife. There's Moses who killed someone out of his anger. There's David who had an affair and then had someone murdered. Um, There's Peter who was probably the most frustrating member of the whole group of disciples who finally Jesus said, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And here's the thing. It wasn't until after he was reinstated, after the resurrection, Peter was reinstated. It wasn't until that point when Peter was truly living the life that he had. You know, I think of it as someone else in our history. You know, we just celebrated uh, tomorrow, we'll celebrate Martin Luther King Day. And Martin Luther King, uh, he admitted that he was a flawed individual. That's one of the things. I don't know if you guys know that or not, but he openly said, I'm a flawed, I'm a man, I'm a flawed individual. But you know what God did with him? God used him. He used him to bring forth change. He used him in a mighty way, even though he was a flawed individual. We can go down through our history and see different people that God used, even though they were flawed individuals. And that should give you and I some comfort that he will also use us. He will use us as flawed individuals. But he must increase and you must decrease. In order to become the you that you want to be, in order to become the exact person that God had in mind when you were created, in order to experience that, you have to decrease so that God could increase. That's my encouragement for you today. Let me pray for you.
Lord God, I'm thankful that you care enough about us, that you don't get frustrated with us, that you don't, uh, God, you don't, you don't get, you know, you don't give up. You don't, uh, you, you let us know that it's the process is where the growth is. All the stories in the text of the scripture we can see, all the different people that you use, flawed individuals, but it's the process. And you created us all uniquely. Our growth is individual. It's not corporate, it's individual. You want us to grow individually. My prayer today is is that people here would allow themselves to experience God in real life. They would allow themselves to experience God in a way that they never have before. They would allow themselves to experience God in a way that is genuine and real and transparent and open. And God, I just pray that you would, gosh, just make that happen. Lord, we need a touch from you today. We need a touch uh, of, of who you are. We need a touch of your truth. I pray that the word spoken today glorified you. And I pray that we would take them in our lives, let them deep down, deep down, gather roots and grow so that we can tell other people about you and so that we can continue to grow closer to you, God. That's my prayer for the church in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, I have no idea where you are today, but I will tell you our altar is always open. Our altar is always open. If there's something that you need from the church, if there's something that you need from God, I I pray that you will come forward. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to pray for you today down here. I'll be down here. Come on forward. Let's stand up and let's have a final worship song. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Real Church Coweta. If you have any questions or if you would like to contact us at Real Church, please go to our website at www.realchurchcoweta.com and click on the Contact Us tab. We invite you to join us on Sunday at 11.15 a.m. at the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sharpsburg. Also, check out our website or Facebook page for directions. Until next time, God bless, and remember to love God, love others, and live real.